back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. A warm welcome from me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP cast brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. And of course, we are available across a wide range of podcast platforms, as well as YouTube. And we're also now on the Amazon Music podcast as well. If you like us, please hit the subscribe button and then you won't have to miss an episode. Now, our very special guest this time is one of the top PGs in the whole of the BBL. He's entering his fourth season and he's glad to be back on court after a very long and extended break. Mackie McKnight of the Sheffield Sharks. Welcome to the MVP cast. How you doing? Thank you for having me on your show, man. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Answer me this. Mackie McKnight the fourth. Are you the fourth mm-hmm. in a row of Mackies in the McKnight clan? <laughs> uh, yes, sir. It happened to be that way. Uh, my <laughs> name was supposed to be completely different, but uh, it's a long list of us, and um, the name just had to keep going, and my dad wanted to keep it going. I'm his only son, so um, the name fell in my hands. So, <laughs> On I don't think there, I don't, Yeah, I don't think there will be a fifth. I have a, a bunch of different other names that my wife and I are thinking about, but um, I mean, it's a, it's a cool thing for the moment. <laughs> it's a very Scottish name. Yeah, you must be. You must have some Scottish blood from New Orleans or something. Back there, Mackie McKnight. Two Scottish names at once. But there you go. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> you, let's talk basketball a bit. Let, let, let's talk topicality. You've been tweeting all over the NBA finals over the last few weeks of this one. Um, are you a Lakers fan? I'm a big LeBron fan. Wherever okay. he goes, I go. And mm. uh, my actually, my team. I'm a New Orleans Pelicans fan. Mm. Unfortunately. But um, so it's kind of weird to be rooting for LeBron. He took AD away, but um, I love LeBron's legacy. I love the way he plays the game of basketball and what he represents. Um, that that past first mentality and leadership thing it kind of flows into my game, and um, I, he's just very polarizing to me. And um, I, I just love I just love following where he goes and his story. It, it's been iconic to me. So um, wherever he goes, I go, and uh, it, it helps when he wins because it helps for my arguments. How much do you think? I mean, as a you know, a guy that you know studies you know basketball from all sort of range. I mean, we're talking now four four titles. We're talking three different teams. We're talking four finals MVPs. But we're talking about is he the goat? And you know, Jordan, you know, is is kind of we've all seen the Last Dance. You know, but it's it's back a while now. I mean, where would you put your money? Who's the best now? Oh, uh, I think when you when you go into that conversation, you have to know who you're talking to and what, what they look for in basketball. Everybody looks at basketball in different perspectives, you know? And so I would say there's been a couple of goats of greatest of their time of a time, you know, not of all time. But if you love, if you love scoring and like, that's like your thing. I mean, of course you're going to choose the Kobe's and the Michael Jordan's and things like that. But if you appreciate the all around game and the numbers that back it, and um, just a long body of work and not just short stints, then of course you go with LeBron, and um, that's what I like. I love the the team aspect. I love the the guy's been in the league since he was a, a kid, and uh, has pretty much had success from the jump. Besides his first year, and um, even, even that year he had individual success. So I got LeBron up there. I wasn't alive for the whole Jordan thing, and I can only believe what my eyes tell me. I can't always believe what people are telling me and saying, "Oh, this guy was so great. He did this. He floated through midair." I understand. I see the tapes, but. I like with my own eyes and I see the numbers and the 
I have the number argument. I have the eye test, and that my eyes tell me that LeBron is the greatest basketball player I've ever seen play. It is an interesting debate. Now we we did a poll amongst those of us who contribute to ESPN.com this week about who you know, who is the greatest. I must confess, you know, growing up in the middle of the Jordan era, you you get convinced there can be no one better. And up to now, I, I, before this these finals, I had LeBron at number two. I must yeah. confess, you do now start to think. Is it possible that you know, there is someone better than Jordan? Yeah, I mean, but even if he's not better, he's still in the conversation. Mm. And before it's been for so long, it's just been Jordan, and then it's been a tier two. So I, I like that LeBron's even in that company with him. And uh, I, I'm also a big um, praise of Kevin Durant. I think he's an amazing talent, and his numbers are only going to grow. And I mean, he's gonna he's gonna have a special year coming off the injury, hopefully. And who knows about his resume? Who about who knows about the other guys? But I just like that LeBron is showing that there can be other great players just like Michael Jordan that can come around. And even guys before him, even Kareem was amazing from what my mom told me. So bit, a lot of people say Bill Russell was that guy, Jerry West. You just never know about the time and era and how basketball was played and what you're looking for. Talking about NBA opportunities, now you said you're a Pelicans fan. There yep. is a job opening in New Orleans at the moment. As we, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, I over the past 24 hours, there has been one coach who has been named as the favourite for the Pelicans job. There's been a coach who's the same person named as the favourite for the Indiana Pacers job as a Sheffield Sharks player. Mm-hmm. It would be kind of fun for you to have the Pelicans coached by a former Sheffield Sharks coach. It would be awesome. I love how uh, the basketball world is so big, but it's so small at the same time. And to have those connections would just be even more amazing for like when I when I retire and I'm able to tell these stories to my kids and grandkids and cousins and things like that. It would be an amazing, um, just an amazing how the uh, the timeline kind of connects with other people. I think that would be cool. And the Pelicans need a new voice as head coach anyway. So if he can bring some new fire and flavor to the team and to the city, that's what we need. And between Chris Finch and Nick Nurse, but the BBL really need that extra investment. The money those two are getting paid now, they should be chipping in. That's where the money could come from. <laughs> the season has been interesting in terms of we were waiting to see if it would start. We, at one point, the odds didn't look great. Now the odds look very good. I mean, you've been in the country for a few weeks. Well, give us a player perspective. What's it been like to kind of practice, but have that real uncertainty about are we just going to get sent home at some point? Oh, you got to stay professional. Honestly, that I mean, our, our organization is tremendous with being very transparent with us. And um, us being a family organization, they're never going to put us in a position to be very, to be too uncertain and to not know what we're fighting for. We know we know that we're here and to be professional and to, if we have extra time, then we have extra time. I mean, the, the it was supposed to start uh, a couple weeks ago and it didn't. But you have to stay focused and take it as extra time to prep and get ready for the season. There's going to be competition everywhere. And if you go home now, you're just going to give the a head start to everybody else. So we've been pretty much keeping our head down, come to the gym, get our work in, and, and uh, do what we're supposed to do in hopes that we will be we will hit the ground ready. And Because you know, if you start off slow in the BBL, it's hard to climb back up. So you have to be able to be prepared and stay professional during times of uncertainty. There must have been some though, you know, relief when they say, right, we're good to go at the end of October. It's not going to be, as it stands, a wasted season. I mean, the, you sort of, there's always at the back of their mind that doubt until that happened. I mean, you did when that came through as a group of players, was it about, okay, we're good? Uh, we gave a hand clap, but um, <laughs> <That's not laughs> I mean, time clap. yeah, we got a nice little hand clap in the circle, but I mean, 
I mean, like, I live in Texas, man. People say things all the time. It doesn't mean that it's going to come to fruition. So I'm still just kind of like, okay, I, I hear you guys, but I'm going to keep my head down, keep working. And if it happens, it happens. You never know what could happen over time. Like, tomorrow's not promised. And I think 2020 has definitely shown that this year, that you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. You can be on a lockdown. You can be free again. You, you never know. You might actually be able to go to the pub for a beer. You, you don't know what's tomorrow in hell's entails so you can go to the pub for a beer. i can't go to the pub for a beer at the minute don't mention these things otherwise that's just hey, big, i can't, I can't either right now <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep track of who's allowed to go to the pub at the minute anyway um let's go back i mean let's go let's go way back i mean you, you're a new orleans guy i mean i know you're you know houston is, is to an extent texas is home but yeah the heart is I, I guess still in new orleans and you you had left by the time Hurricane Katrina blew through the bayou and, and changed the life of so many people, and your family was was there. I mean, recount to me what what your recollection of was of, of the impact that that had on the people around you. Um, it, well, first of all, it was a natural disaster, so it was nothing that we could have done to mm. prevent it or to even what we did to help that thing happen. So really what happened was that um, my family, my mom, mom is one of nine children and all of them have kids except for one. And so, and, and no, everybody lives in New Orleans except for my mom my, and my two sisters and I. And so we moved to Houston for the, uh, my mom's in the old business and uh, we weren't gone for long. I think we left in the, about 2000, we were out there mm-hmm. and Katrina happened in about 05, yeah, 05. Yeah, so we had five years under our belt. And thank God that our life planned out the way it did because our family in New Orleans had nowhere to go. So we went from a household of four people to about 40 plus really quickly because we were we were the place that everybody could go because nobody knew what else, any, anything outside of New Orleans. So my sister was there. My grandfather was there. All of my aunts and uncles, like, life completely changed. And um, it, it was kind of... It was funny because, like, from the the kids' perspective, we were happy as heck because, like, now I got to go to school with my cousins and we could ride bikes again like we used to when we were like super young. So it was it was cool in that aspect, but the lives were changed drastically. Like the furniture and the flooding completely damaged like our whole neighborhood. Like, we if you take ten steps out of our front door back home in New Orleans, you could see the levee. Mm. Like we used to go play around the Mississippi River all the time. So to know how close it was to our house, we knew that it was never going to be the same. But to see how we've came back as a city, it's miraculous. Like the Saints, I'm a big New Orleans Saints fan as well. I'm pretty sure you see that as well. And they they won a championship in 09, and that that started the wave. And LSU football has been great. And the Pelicans have had spirited fights. And it just shows you that our city doesn't give up. And uh, during those times, it helped me grow up as a person as well, as especially as a kid. I was immature. But it taught me how to share more and do different things with my family and appreciate them because anything can change tomorrow. So you talk about 40, you know, the household going up to 40. What are we literally talking? You guys are living in a house and then two days later, everyone piles in and it becomes this vast shelter, I suppose, in some respects. Yes, sir. I did not sleep in my own bed for two years. Wow. I had to give I had to give up my bedroom to my aunt and my uncle and they had a, a little kid at the time. They took that. And then my mom's best friend stayed with us for an extended period of time after my aunt, uncle and my other cousins found, um, a different place to live around the corner. But uh, we had air mattresses. I slept on the floor. We had uh, different couches. We made it work. I mean, because you didn't know what was going to happen the next day for them. And we couldn't just, you couldn't push out your family and just put them on the street. That's not how we do things in New Orleans. We're a family and a very big one. So we, um, we just opened our, our home, our hearts, and pretty much told them they could stay as long as they wanted. 
And it ended up people started getting um, apartments nearby or homes nearby. So we stayed a tight knit family. And um, that's just how we handled that situation. I mean, we often learn lessons in those moments of, of challenge and adversity. You know, what did, how did that change you or did it change you in any way? Uh, I was, I mean, I was a kid, so I think I was in eighth grade. Uh, I was selfish, you know, it was just, I was the only boy on my mom's favorite. So um, <laughs> that's what I like to say. And so I never had to really share with my sisters because they were older and they would just beat me up. But um, that was how I went. But like, I had to learn how to share just like the cereal or the toothpaste or my clothes and let some things go that I was just hanging on to because my, my people needed it, you know? And it, and it just taught me how to have my family around again too. And that was amazing. I was able to be around my aunt and my uncles and my, my cousins again to teach those lessons that I was missing in my own household, you know? So it, it was, it was, it really made me grow up and I needed that before I entered high school. When they, they all went back up see, or I think most of your family went back there. I mean, you, did it a sense bring you all closer together even when you were, you're not apart having gone through that experience? Yeah, it definitely did. Well, they all definitely moved back. Everybody's back into the same houses. The only person that's not living in New Orleans anymore is uh, still me and my second sister, my middle sister. And then my aunt got married and she lives in Dallas. But everybody else went right back to New Orleans. That's that's how strong the New Orleans pride thing is. They all still went back. And, it, but, um, it is, I mean, it is an amazing city. And I think I've, I've been lucky I've gone there twice i think once for a super bowl and once for for an nba all-star game and what nice. always struck me about it is and i mean this in the nicest possible way it's so un-american it's yeah. so unique <laughs> and different and cultured and fun like bourbon street one of the greatest places to spend the night out that you could possibly do but there is an amazing sense of pride of people that that live there i mean they are new orleans or first second third and then possibly American after that. Yeah, we are we are New Orleanians. That's that's what we are. That's we are New Orleanians, and we are diehards for our city, and we love our people. And um, I, I've been fortunate to be from there, so I've been to a couple of Mardi Gras and All Star games and things like that of that nature as well. But um, we are we were a French uh, territory. We we were bought by the U.S. and uh, the 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 French purchase. Is that what it was called? Yes. The French purchase Louisiana back then, purchase. so Louisiana, Louisiana purchase. purchase. That's what it was. And um, so my mom's like, I mean, my my family's French. My last my last name is Boudreaux on my mom's side. So we have that French architecture, French culture, and things like that. And then my grandmother's from Sicily, so it's a bunch of different cultures mixed into one. Like we like to say, it's a big gumbo pot. So it's not all <laughs> Americans living in one place. You know, it's a bunch of different one, a different bunch of different people, and you you got to get along, and you got to be able to party together. You got to be able to argue and respect people's opinion. And that's what New Orleans is. It's just a big gumbo pot full of different cultures, and we got to make it work. What was it like, though, for you being transplanted to Houston, which is an incredibly different kind of place? Uh, I was young, and um, my sisters and I were young, but uh, we knew what my mom was doing. She wanted to get us out of New Orleans because, like I said, you can get stuck there. And she wanted to give us better opportunities and uh, chances to grow as people. And uh, it worked. Yeah, she, I mean, credit to her, it worked. Her plan absolutely worked, and it helped us grow as people, uh, be as with our character. But Houston has so many opportunities with sports and or business and uh, academics that my mom's career was able to take off, and then both of my sisters were able to go their own path and still be successful in life. And I, I had way more opportunities with basketball, with AAU to football to baseball. It was just a brand new world, and it was amazing how many people can fit in a city. We've never seen that coming from New Orleans. So with all these millions and millions of people, the, the opportunities were endless. So it helped us 
with our our path in life actually if you hadn't been a basketballer what would have been the other sport uh i started off as baseball when i was four uh playing t-ball i loved baseball i absolutely loved it and um but it was so boring. It, <laughs> I, I got like I would just be in the outfield, just kicking dirt, you know, because not kids. Kids couldn't hit it back like back of the park back then, so it was just boring. And then football was very big in Texas, so I loved that. But like it's so hot, I, I just don't do the outdoors well. It's like a hundred degrees, and your coach is yelling at you. Yeah, I can't do it, man. So basketball was indoor with the AC. So <laughs> yeah, you, and, 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 and and Yorkshire, you've come to the right place if you don't like warmth. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's a little too cold in the gyms here, but I guess that's what I, you can't, beggars can't be choosers, man. So, I mean, I, the game just kind of, it kind of just gravitated towards me. And then I just started watching, I mean, how many Reggie Miller and those guys, and it just kind of stuck with me that I can go in the driveway and just play by myself. I didn't need anybody else to throw the ball with me or things like that. It was like more of a, a way that I could be by myself and escape whatever's going on by just bouncing a ball. And that became my therapy. And I just turned my therapy into a hobby into a love and now it's my career how did how did you get to the point there's, there's always sort of that light bulb moment or there, for most players there is where was that moment for you where you realized this doesn't this might not have to be a hobby this could be something more uh i think when i was in high school i realized that i could use basketball to go to school for free and get a basketball scholarship. And I was like, oh, okay, if I can help my mom with this, then I'm good. And then, then she can give me money for like for tennis shoes and things like that. That was my <laughs> thinking, honestly. So once I got that first letter in like sophomore year, freshman year, like high school, I was like, oh, I really could do this. So and then it just started piling up. And by the time I got to be a senior, I had people at my door sending me tons of packages of please come here, please come there. And that's when I it really clicked. I was like, okay, I'm going to school for free. And then once I got to college or university, by my third year, that's when I really realized, okay, I could really make this a career and not just for school. I can really take this across the water. So, and it if I just kept my head down and kept working hard and stopped getting in trouble so much, <laughs> then I could I could make it, and that's what happened. What kind of trouble? Spell it. Oh, what you were know, you, what you, were you know, up to? You know, I was a kid. You know, I was eighteen. To twenty two, I was I was uh I was finding myself to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> that's what kids of that age do. That that yeah. That's like, I, mean, I mean, you go to Lehigh, um, which is yeah, it, it's it's a basketball school, but it's also yeah, you know, it's a Patriot League school. It's you know, it's very you know known for academics. The schools. Yes, sir. That. What was what was the ration, rationale for heading somewhere like that than maybe more uh, let's say a basketball or school that's known for basketball. Um. Well, there's so many schools in, in America that it's hard to just choose one. But um, I chose the one that was, one, far from home because <laughs> I wanted to grow up quicker. Um, two, that was even if I'm playing basketball, if I fall on this diploma, fall back on this diploma, then I can get into any job interview. And I was always trying to play the, the long game. And um, out of all the schools I had, I had a few Ivy League schools as well, but it, they weren't playing the tournament back then. So, so like even out the odds of people getting in, you had to win the regular season, which is kind of weird to me. Mm. So I chose Lehigh because it was a great business school and all the majors across the board were amazing. And I've heard so many good things about their, uh, their network, their alumni network. So I was like, well, if I can go play basketball and get a great education, not saying that Kentucky doesn't offer great academics and the Dukes and things like that, but they're not close to Lehigh. So 
I chose a place that I can go get both because who who's going to say that I can break an ankle or mess up my knee and then I can't play basketball anymore. I can't just have all my eggs in the basketball basket, you know? So I chose Lehigh. I have a great affection for it because there is one of my favorite, if not my favorite basketball book is a book called The Last Amateurs by a brilliant American writer called John Feinstein, in which he chronicled the year in the life of the Patriot League. So all the players of all those schools that were there, like you know, Holy Cross, people were heard of as mm-hmm. here. And it was just beautifully chronicled. So you, know, you got to know that this, this conference essentially that you know you don't really hear about in basketball terms but it was it was brilliantly brought to life and was we, i mean was college days the best days of your life or you know hard as hard as that shape up for you in the end uh it depends on what you what you mean by best like as in partying or as in i didn't life? want to put it in terms of if you, that's what you're thinking i mean <laughs> um it, it was uh eye-opening i would say um I've had a lot of different times of my life that I could say were the best times of my life, like my daughter being born or graduating and different things like that, signing my first contract to play basketball. But definitely being that young, dumb, and broke was very fun. I mean, <laughs> I would never go back to it, but I mean, it was definitely fun. I did a bunch of crazy things that I would never speak on again or do again ever, <laughs> but it, it was great while it lasted. And it taught me so many lessons, so, so many lessons, but I'm, I'm at a whole different headspace now so it's kind of hard to go back and, and <laughs> dive into those memories yeah we all grow up we can meet up with our old roommates and friends and talk about it and then never speak about it <laughs> yes else. sir absolutely they'd look at you and go oh my god that was yeah, you that, okay fair enough <laughs> that's what the, that's what the group chat we talk about those things in the group chat <laughs> exactly that's what whatsapp was built for um, exactly you come out of college and rookie you you go to ukraine yep. um no uh, having had you know people i know go and play there not not the greatest reputation, but tough mm-hmm. place to go. What What's that like as an eye-opener to go out into this big, bad world of professional basketball and that's where you have to get your shot? Um, I mean, I always say, like I said earlier, beggars can't be choosers. Mm. I, I was begging for a contract so bad and I wanted to play basketball so bad. I wanted to do anything it took to like play basketball. So God said, okay, I got you. I'll put you in Ukraine. <laughs> 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 and that's when your faith was testing you. Why? Why? Yeah, um, I was like, why here? But you can't question him, man. So I was just like, okay, I guess I'm in Ukraine. And uh, they barely spoke English. The cuisine was very weird. Um, it snowed all the time. It was actually colder there than here. Um, it, it's. It was. <laughs> my teammates didn't speak English, so like I had a translator coach that halfway spoke English, so I couldn't really get the gist of what everybody was saying. It was very tough to say the least. It was, it was tough. But the basketball competition was amazing. I mean, those guys who are hard-nosed, they understand basketball. And, and they're, man, they, they present a very tall task to uh, overcome and win basketball games there. But uh, so it was great. I, I would have stayed the whole season had they, like, the business side not kicked in and sold me my first taste of the business. They stopped paying me. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to wait two months just to leave. So two months with no pay out there. And I was just like, okay, this is, this maybe not be for me. And then I went to Greece. How, how tough is that to kind of, you know, because you're a long way from home and it's a very different kind of place and suddenly the checks start dropping. How do you how do you kind of cope with that and manage it? You know, because obviously that's what agents are for, but it's still full of you, a lot of that responsibility. 
Yeah, that's sure. That's that's sure. That's what the agents are for, I guess. Um, <laughs> my agent now is good. Hopefully, he, when he hears that, not him. He's great. But uh, back then, I had different agent, and yeah, it's supposed to fall on them. But a lot of times, it falls on my shoulders or the players' shoulders. But um, at that time, I just had to believe in myself and just stay st- uh, mentally strong. Like um, I think Rondo was just talking about it on Twitter uh, yesterday. Mm. It's it's more it's more mental than physical, and you have to be strong mentally because they're gonna test you. People are gonna test you. Organizations are gonna test you. The world's gonna test you. It's about how you re- how you react and how you respond. If you react so quickly and so abruptly, you can make the wrong move. You know. So I just had to wait my turn and wait my time out there and just keep grinding. And I knew that another opportunity was gonna present itself. I mean, you got to Greece a little bit, a cup of you know, a cup of tea there, and then you go to Lithuania the year after, which you know, is one of the great European leagues. I mean, what do you pick up as as a player? Because you know, and I know this is a bit of a cliche, but you know there is a certain style of playing in America, and a certain way of being coached in America, and then you go to particularly Eastern Europe, where it's very different in the way that they they the prison they look at the game of basketball, the way that coaches look at it, etc. What, particularly as a point guard, what do you learn from going through those different stops that you take into your game now? I take in the fact that everywhere basketball is played differently and everybody sees it in a different light. Some coaches want the point guard to score a lot. Sometimes the point they don't want the point guard to score at all. Sometimes they just hmm. want you to pick up 94 feet, play defense, knock down the three, and shut your freaking mouth. Other places, they want you to be the loudest guy on the court. And what I've learned from Ukraine was nobody's going to talk to you, just score the basketball. I got to Lithuania. They were like, just play defense and don't complain. (laughs) (laughs) In in Greece, they were like, shoot the ball, shoot the ball, shoot the ball, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. And don't worry about nothing else, just shoot the ball. So you you have to ask the team, you have to ask their coach, like, what do you want? What do you see? And you can do what they ask, and then they can just have a change of heart. But you really you really just don't know. You're really just going out on a limb out there and just hoping that your game sticks and fits into whatever's going on. So I just learned to just be open-minded. Just be open-minded, and hopefully one of these days I was going to find a fit. So that, that was the pitch there. Well, let, let's hit on this. What was the pitch in Sheffield? What was the Tebas pitch to you? Um, to just be, he actually wanted me to be myself, which was an eye-opening experience. He was just like, I, I, I see that you've been through this and that, and uh, I just want you to be the point guard that you want to be. Um. I need you to shoot 10 times a game at least, um, run the show, and basically just you and I have a good relationship. And that was his parameters. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you didn't mention defense. Oh, that explains it. Um, oh, come on. You know, you know he mentioned defense. You know he mentioned defense. Come on now. That he's guy is a, not def- he's a defense first coach. Oh, my gosh. You don't want to see our practices. <laughs> run, 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 run some more. And then sweat run, run, and defense, defense, defense. But, hey, his method works because we're always at the top part of the league. So his method works. You can say whatever you want, but he's a great guy. He understands basketball, and he makes sure that we're going to be top in the league when it comes to defense and, and especially in cardio. <laughs> Prior to you coming to Sheffield in 2006-17 season, you were out of the game for a year. And yes, sir. That's that's always tough because often when you drop out for a year, the odds are you don't come back again from that. I mean, how did you deal with that season and you know the, the, the fear factor possibly that that might be it? Um. Depression, man. Depression set in, and um, you didn't. I didn't know who I was for the first time as a person because I've always just been a basketball player. Mm-hmm. You know, I've just been identified as 
the basketball guy ever since I was elementary, middle school, high school, college, prof- professional. And it was nothing that I did. It's not that I didn't shoot the ball well or I, I went out too much or I, I, I beat up somebody. It was none of those things. It was just that somebody just thought to go the other direction than me. And so it was hard and um, had to go work a regular job and get into that life. And just lots of com- long conversations with different coaches, other places. I was looking to become a coach somewhere or go back to school and work in this job, that job. And you just have to just keep praying and keep keep in contact with your agent and saying that, hey, can you work your connections? Whatever the case may be, I'll do it. I, if it's a tryout, if it's if it's in Mexico, if it's in wherever, I'll go. And the opportunity came around, thankfully, the following year. And now I've been here ever since. What, what was the job out here? Again? What was the job, the regular job? Oh, I, I, mean, I worked at Amazon. I've worked at a... Um, a spirits place, like a wine and spirits, a sold alcohol. I mean, I've worked at, uh, I've, uh, I worked in the Amazon warehouse. I've drove for Amazon. I've, um, I've done training for kids. I've done so many different jobs just to stay afloat. It's, 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 it's so funny driving a uh, big old box trucks, uh, from city to city. I've, I've done a bunch of different things just to stay afloat and, and stay and keep my mind busy, keep my, my, my body busy. So I don't fall into like that deep, dark hole. Did you have to, I mean, when you talk about it being deep, I mean, did was there points where you tried to tell yourself, like, accept this, I, I'm moving on? Did you, you know, do you, do you sit back and go, no, you know, I, I don't care how bad I feel. I think that there'll still be an opportunity for me. I mean, how, how dark does that get in terms of the optimism versus pessimism? Um, It's a different fight each day. That's mm-hmm. what I can say. Some days... I can't just sit here and say I knew I'll always get an opportunity because I didn't. Some days I just like it's over. But then other days I wake up and I'm like, and I'll go play basketball with a bunch of other guys that didn't get their shot as well that year, or they were about to get their shot. I would go against them and I'm like, okay, I still got it. I can I see I still got it. I know these guys are gonna go it's a word of mouth type of game. I know they're gonna go tell people that I still got it. So some days I thought it was over, some days I thought that it was gonna happen again. And my agent, of course, he's always saying, Yes, 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 yes. And and actually, he sometimes I'm sure he's getting the answer no. But we we just stayed the stayed the course. I stayed in the gym, and I, I kept my body in shape, and I kept working two jobs, three jobs, and I just made it work, man. I just made it work. What's the relief level like then when you get to the following summer and there's this offer on the table from this obscure place called Sheffield? Uh, tears of joy, uh, <laughs> bottles popping open. <laughs> Very best for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was college all over again. How about that? <laughs> Why well, <anyway>, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very much so a sense of relief and that everything that I was doing was the right thing, like working and just keeping my faith. And it just gave me confirmation that I was doing the right thing and that I still had something left. Like those conversations, talking to myself in the car, talking to myself, just prepping myself up, just be, man, just be ready for the opportunity to be ready. You can't just get an opportunity and not be ready. Then you'd really be done. And I, and I just try to take advantage of it. Does that motivate you a hell of a lot more, though, coming back in that first season you come in here? Because in a sense, there's all those teams out there didn't sign you. Now you have a chance to kind of come in and go, actually, you remember me. I'm the guy that can play this game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I came in with a chip on my shoulder and um, I played. And I was just happy. To be honest with you, it wasn't a very great year statistically for <laughs> me. But, I mean, I was out for 365, 365 days. And so 
I hadn't played real basketball in two years or like a year and, and plus some. And it was it was a it was so refreshing. It was so refreshing. And uh, just to be around the guys and this and that, it, it was a heck of a ride. And um, I'm just glad I had the opportunity. And um, I didn't take full advantage of it, but I did what I was supposed to do. And I had different opportunities elsewhere after that season. And um, now I'm back here. I mean, you mentioned the trust that a team has had in you in terms of saying, you know, go and do your thing. How, how does that liberate you when you're on the floor, when you, you have that kind of relationship where you know the skills and talent and what you offer is what the coach wants you to bring? Um, well, first and foremost, it takes a lot of effort for us to get to where we are now and to have that type of trust. We've had ups and downs as, as I mean, that's just t- teams, but we've had to learn each other and how to communicate with each other throughout different weeks and months and uh, seasons. And now that we're at a great groove right now, it's fantastic because he'll see something. I'll, I just have to look at him and he'll, we can communicate without saying much. It kind of helps because he has to wear the mask now. So I can, <laughs> I, can, I can read his eyes and his body language. He can read mine. And sometimes we overread each other and then we'll be like, oh, okay, that's not what I was thinking. And then we have to backtrack a little bit, but we work on our relationship. We always talking. If he sees something, I go ask a question. If he sees something, he go ask, he asks me, he's like, why'd you do that? Or what would you see? Okay. What about this guy? And like, we just con- continue, continually pick each other's brains to see what the other one is thinking, how this one, how I feel, how he feels. And we try to mesh it together. And lots of times it ends up being winning basketball. So I think what we got is working, and uh, I believe he thinks so too. That's why he keeps bringing me back. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, what, that's what he tells you. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, I mean, describe the process I and mean, give us a little insight of of the process you guys have at, at Sharks to to kind of get better. Because practice one thing, off the court work, you know, film study stats, all that kind of stuff. What's what's your process, particularly as you know, as, as a playmaker? in terms of scouting, in terms of watching tape? Because, you know, it's not a league that has a vast amount of things there on top. But you know, how do you use all those, the technology, I guess, to, to be ready for opponents and, and to, to evaluate your own game as well? Oh, we have the technology, for sure. We're, we're not lacking at, at anything. I mean, it, it takes a – we might – uh, have to wrestle for gym space sometimes or things like that. But as far as technology and scouting, oh, we're on top of that. We got a guy, uh, Coach Owen. He's always he uh, coaches the junior sharks, but he's always breaking down film. And we go player to player. We have different sets. We know everybody's inbounds plays. We know everything. Like and Coach T was always watching film and saying, "Hey, well, I think we can do spacing on this." He comes up with a, ne- a new play or he brings back an old play. We're we're not we're not lacking on the technology and scouting. I mean, I don't know if you guys see it, but. I can call out other people's plays and I can run it better than them. Hmm. When they, when they, when the guy messes up on the floor, I can be like, Oh yeah, you in the wrong spot. I'm about to go over here and cheat. So <laughs> we, we watch a lot of film before every practice. We're still watching the our old preseason games. So we're, we break it down each quarter a day or make sure that we all on the same page of what he wants. And when guys get tired, how to not start going back to old habits, we break it down and we get to the, the gritty of it. It's not always a pleasant <laughs> film session, hmm. but it's it's very teach it's a, it's very it's a teaching moment and you have to be able to be coachable and to be taught different things and and to be taught from your uh, wrongs to make them right. One one coach formerly of this league one once sort of told me that the, the challenge of the BBL it's quite unique that he hadn't found elsewhere was that some teams just don't run place and teams aren't aren't that organized it's you know it's 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 a less of a freelance league than it was I think five ten years ago but 
it can be very hard with with certain coaches to actually prepare simply because they I don't want to say they don't prepare, but they don't they're not as formal a coach in terms of their systems as elsewhere. Do you find that there is that variation in this league between a very I guess structured coaching coach team uh, um, teams that do freelance? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I've only played. I, that's a that's a question for probably somebody else. I, I I can only do my best to answer it. And, but um, I've only been with this organization, and I see what we've done. And um, I've always known Miss Sarah and uh, Mr. U, uh, Yuri and Coach Atiba to always try their best to be transparent with us, be as professional as possible, and try to run this as a, as a business and as a family organization. That's all I can say. I don't know how other people run theirs. I hear the rumblings and mumblings, but if everybody has an opinion and has something to say, you know, so I don't. I just take it as it is, and I'm not sure what everybody else does. I just know that here, I, I wouldn't say it's freelancing because we work hard. <laughs> and, things are, and things are done a, a definitely a Sheffield Shark way. And um, it's it's nitty-gritty. It's uh, keep your head down, work hard, and um, let's limit the complaints, and let's just be professional about our work because we're all professionals here. So that's all I can say about our organization. I, I don't know how other everybody else scouts and things, but it's real basketball over here. How much of that culture comes from old man talk? Oh man, plenty of it. He's been here, <laughs> he's been here so long. I, don't, I can say that because I know he listen to this. <laughs> yeah, but that that guy's an epitome of a, of a leader. Uh, he is the captain. Like he, I call him Cap. I, I don't call. I rarely call him Michael or Tuck or anything like that. He he's just Cap, and um, he knows the ins and outs. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. He's seen every scenario. He knows all the players and why they're still here, why they're not here, or and things different things like that. He just has so much knowledge. And you, you just can't teach that. And that's just about being around and having the longevity of a of a career that he has, a, a brilliant career at that. And so him being around helps all of us. I'm sure it helps even the, the front office and the organization, but it helps us players because we need we all every team needs a guy like that. You know, he's just phenomenal. And that's why he's been captain of the England team or and this and that. And he's been around because his type of leadership is, is pretty much unmatched, you know. I mean, off the court, I mean, you, what age is your daughter now? She's in Houston right now. Oh, so how, how is that for you, not having her there with you at this point in the year? How it absolutely you how, how is your How is your FaceTime or WhatsApp sort of minutes per day? Oh, so we're six hours ahead of them. So, and she's a sleepyhead. So she usually sleeps till about noon or one o'clock because she don't know how to go to sleep at night. And um, so that's about six o'clock, seven o'clock over here at night. Mm. And so then she has to be herself. She's going to call me here, going to call me there. And then she has her own iPad. So she calls me herself. She's only two, which is crazy. But um, and then I have to juggle that with her mom. So <laughs> she wants to hang up with me, but her mom and I still want to talk. So we have to do that. It's very hard. I had them over here last season and my life was complete. Mm. And, and that's pretty much, I mean, you can see that my game completely uh, took steps to another level and I was able to shoot the ball better, be a better leader and play defense better. And because uh, my life was all here. Now I'm back to being at square one again while I'm without my family. And it sucks because as I got as I get older, I realize that family comes first and family is the most important thing and not basketball. It, basketball comes second now. So I, I miss them every day and uh, I make sure it's a point that I show them that I love them and um they, they won't be away from me long, I can tell you that much. So the plan is that they will come at some point this season? 
Oh, absolutely. That that's written in stone. I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't put a ring on that girl's finger just for her to stay away from me. <laughs> She's gonna travel all over the world to get to me. So I'm gonna get my wife and my daughter back for sure. Did you bring books with you so you could read the bedtime? Well not because you can't do the bedtime sort of the time difference unless you stay really late, but did you bring the books to read the stories? Oh uh, well <laughs> you gotta understand I spoiled my little girl. So I have books here already from last season. <laughs> and so <laughs> and she gets brand new toys when she sees me and I'm on top of all that, right? And right now, she's big onto the iPad because I got her a new one before I left, and so she reads and does the uh, the ABCs and stuff on there. So she's she's not looking to dad to to read her books right now. She just wants to to pick on me and laugh with me. <laughs> How much does it change the motivation? I know this is as a parent of a you know a, a small child as well. How much does it change your sort of motivation now that you know you got this responsibility added to everything? Oh, there's no feeling. You can't fail now in life. I mean, you have to, you can't, you, I can't just play basketball. I have to have my hand in the different things. And I have to have more than one business going on. And I have to expand my, my, my portfolio just to make sure this girl knows that I can always provide for her. She can always ask me for anything. And especially with basketball, tell her that she can always chase her dreams, whether it's across the world or down the street. Go, go chase it because you don't want to live life with what ifs. So now instead of just, coaching myself up and leading getting led by my my family i have to do the leading myself with a little person and so i have to lead by words by example and and show her the better way and so that's a completely different burden a different challenge that i have to live by but i love it i I wouldn't have it any other way i mean of course when i got the news i was having a kid i was i was kind of scared but now i'm ready for more (laughs) (laughs) it's your wife that's the question yeah, yeah, it's up to her, but I, at least she knows that I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I want some more. I want some more. So you mentioned, you mentioned expanding the portfolio. What else are we going to see here within the uh, McKnight Empire? Oh, well, I have my own podcast already. It's called Max Squared, and uh, that's why I, when you offered this, I was like, heck yeah, I'll jump right on it, man. Hmm. It's called Max Squared. It's one of my great friends from back home, and um, we just talk sports talk and media and culture and things like that. Same thing that you do. And um, the people like it. Our friends like it. We give them something to warm up to. And um, yeah, now we have real estate things going on back home and food trucks in the works. And it's just a bunch of different things. Food trucks back- expand on. That's not like that. That's good. Yes, yeah, sir. Trucks. Yeah, my uh, my sister and I, well, like, like you said, we're from New Orleans. So you know how good our food tastes. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to try to do like a, a, a Creole Cajun type of food truck. Possibly mixed with a different other cultures because I'm like I've been everywhere and uh, we have a bunch of different uh, we have interracial relationships mm. in my family so we have a bunch of different cultures so we're gonna try to fuse them all together and uh, it's actually been a great investment in Texas of uh, food trucks that is you can travel to Houston Dallas Austin and it's actually been paying dividends so it's a it's a good business to get into I would suggest you look into it as well if you can <laughs> we're so we're gonna see the crayfish with Yorkshire Pood special. Oh no, 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 not that. I will do the fish and chips though, because that is my <laughs> stuff right there, man. I love that. Fish and chips with uh, extra scraps, man, I need that every day. <laughs> yeah, I, you sold me on it. There you go. Last <laughs> couple of things. Let's, let's finish up talking about the season that's coming up. I mean, you, you said that this season was unfinished business for you. How are you viewing? You've been in practice a few weeks now. How are you viewing this team? Um, I still feel that same way. Um, last year, we were about to, oof, we were hitting the groove, and like we all understood each other at the right time, and we were about to, we were about to start making our push, because we know we saw that. Um, I think it was who was above us, Leicester, London, a, a couple of teams that we, I think Glasgow was surprisingly up there as well. Mm. A couple of teams that we already had played tough or beat already, and so we were like, okay, we we're right there, and we were already we were doing dumb things to lose, 
So we knew that we were about to make a run. And that's when the season got canceled. And so now we were like, okay, well, if we can bring back the majority of our guys, I mean, you, you can always, you can't ever bring back everybody. But if you can bring back the majority of your guys, we can hit the ground running and we can start back up where we left off. Of course, a, a couple of guys aren't back, but we feel like with the pieces that we have, we'll be able to compete again. And I, I've seen a couple of things. People put us at sixth or fifth or seventh. And that's great because that's just extra motivation for us. And so we're, we're just ready to compete and show, like we always do, show that Sheffield's a little bit more than what people bargain for. No one knows anything right now. I don't know who's doing predictions. <laughs> well, actually, I do know who's predictions, but yeah, no one knows anything at the minute. Um, they, don't, they don't. They don't. Last one. I mean, for you guys, you know, you sit down and, you know, it's, Maybe it happens, you know, a few days before the start of the season. But you know, what's the expectation? Now you've been here for a few years. What's the kind of expectation level that you put on yourself, and that you now, sort of as as a team, you think you guys will put on yourselves? Always to be the top defensive team in the league. That that's always our number one goal. Be the top defensive team in the league. If you can stop people from scoring, then you can win some basketball games for sure. And so that's that's always our number one goal. And um. And probably that's probably one A and one B would be to bring home some silverware. I mean, we've had we've won games, we've beaten the top teams, we've done those things. But if you have nothing to show for it, then it means nothing at the end of the day. So we we need we've lost in a final before. So we need I don't know how they're gonna do the tournaments this year or whatever. But if there's only one turn one trophy to win or two trophies to win, we want at least one of those. And that's that's our goal. That's how we're gonna measure our success this year by bringing home a trophy somehow. Is there? I mean, is the mindset? I mean. Everyone's looking at London Lions as the team that could win everything. And they have got some very eye-catching signings. Do you think that's going to be... There's always that thing where you go in to play the biggest team. Everyone raises their game. Do you think that will be the case this year, that everyone going up against them is going to bring that absolute A game? And those will be the games where actually we see the best of every team? Um. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope so that every, te- every team brings out the best of everybody. But I understand that everybody's looking at them as a juggernaut. But the only team that we're looking at is ourselves. I mean, if we, we can't get ourselves right, then there's no reason to even step on the court. But um, they do have a lot of talent, and I'm glad that my friend Dirk Williams is over there and he's showcasing his talent. Um, I think he has the makings to be league MVP, and I've been saying that to him for, for years that he has the talent, he just has to put it together and the trust in the process and just to, just to show it. But I do think that other teams will be excited to put on some tape and some uh, some film to send other coaches when they play the London Lions. So I think that guys will be trying extra hard for that. But in Sheffield, we're just worried about Sheffield. Well, as you should do. I'm obviously getting those fish and chips. Um, <laughs> if, if you want to follow, follow Mackie on Twitter, he's got a great Twitter feed. You can get him at Return of the Mac. I suggest that you search for Mackie McKnight because there's lots of numbers, etc. in there. But that's essentially what it reads like. But anyway, yes, sir. Mackie McKnight the third, or fourth, I said the third, fourth, I do a disservice. <laughs> yes, um, sir. Best of luck with your season. Hope it's a great one. We'll see you at some point down the road. But thank you so much for coming on the MVP cast. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. That's it for this edition. Brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Check them out on Google or follow them on social at TE Compliance Limits. You can get all our previous editions, of course, at mvp247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. If you want to reach out to me, as ever, get me on Twitter at Mark Britball. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, thanks so much for listening. And it's bye for now. Bye.